Hey everyone, Eric here. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with Michael Joachim, a private markets analyst at Allborn Partners. Listen in as he describes how he was able to earn a position in his prestigious role during the pandemic without having an Ivy League background and what he's learned from working with some of the brightest financial minds in the industry. You know, I, I figured uh, the way I wanted to start this out was just by letting the audience hear um, a little bit more about you, like introduce yourself and um, what some of your, your interests are here that we're going to be speaking on pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, grew up in the Bay Area my whole life, uh, one house <laughs> all the way through high school. Um, and then I went to uh, community college after high school, DVC, our local community college for about mm-hmm. three years because uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't really pay attention in high school that much. All I did was play <laughs> football. Uh, but I decided to pursue business at community college uh, about a year in. Cool. Um, other than engineering, which every male in my family is pretty much every male is an engineer except for me. But uh, they told me engineering would take me like four years to get out of community college. So I picked something else, uh, which happened to be business. Cool. Um, and I'm doing a concentration in finance. And then I transferred to Chico State after about two and a half, three years. Got to Chico. I um, did a lot of academic extracurriculars, including leading the, um, the Investors Club for about two years. I was the vice president and acted as like an interim president of the Investors Club. Uh, nice. Then ended up competing in a lot of statewide and university-wide stock pitch competitions and just general investment related investment research-related competitions um, as soon as I got there. Uh, graduated after two years, um, then ended up uh, landing a job about almost an entire year after graduation with an alternative investment consultant called Allborn here in San Francisco mm-hmm. as a, a private market analyst. Nice. So about a year and eight months into that, uh, maybe a year and seven months, and um, it's uh, it's going well so far. Uh, I love it. It's exactly what I pictured myself doing in undergrad. But uh, yeah, that leads me that leads me to here. It's a very brief background compared to some of my colleagues, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, that's what leads me to here now. Uh, don't sell yourself, Francisco. <laughs> don't sell yourself short. I mean, like the, I mean, the main purpose of this call is really just to talk more about like how you don't necessarily need to have an Ivy League background in order to um, be proficient in finance and find a role within that pr- uh, respective field. So goodest to you for you know continuing to do so and being able to find it. I, I want to say you found that job right before. The pandemic even started correct yeah it was like right at the beginning we nothing had like had been mandated it was just like i remember in my interview because it was like the feb it was february of 2020 i remember the interview we were just kind of joshing that you know the coronavirus it's like oh man yeah we better watch out like yeah, yeah things are getting kind of bad and then i was in the office for maybe a month and then you know after that it's just like yeah everybody go home and don't go outside so <laughs> I got to see my colleagues, you know, for a bit, my managers, I was in the office for about a month, which was more than I can say for some of our new hires. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was uh, a very, a very interesting time to, to get in. Very sure. fortunate and, and unfortunate at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, I would imagine. So like, was it difficult to transition out of like a, a working in the office role into like work remote work given you only had like a month of, of true training in, in yeah. person? Yeah, I'd say so. It's it, that that month was very um it was it's good to be in person. You know, I feel like I'm the only one actually in my office or, or, you know who actually misses the office, but 
going from, you know, in the office where if I don't know something where, you know, I, I have a question, because, you know, especially right out of undergrad, there's a lot of language involved, especially in finance that gets thrown around a lot. And sometimes sure. it's, it's hard to pick up on. And in the office, I could just turn to my colleague, you know, Ryan by my side and just like, hey, what's, um, you know, what's a DPI? What is that? You know, and then he could just lean over and just like, oh, you know, or how to do something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot easier to communicate when now I guess the biggest challenge would be you have to, you know, email someone if you have a question. Do you have a call? And they said, yeah, let's schedule a call just for something quick. Your, does your company not have any like internal communication tools like like Slack or like Teams? We, we or- do. We have a, a rocket chat. You know, it's okay. um, it well, it's called Rocket Chat. It's not a, a it's a little you know instant messaging tool. It's mm. uh, it, it it works. You know, it works. It's just different than just kind of leaning over and asking a question. Sure. Or yeah, know, absolutely. Being in the room with you know someone where instead of you know even trying to email someone that they might not see or might not get back to you in a few hours, then just kind of hollering over, just walking over to them, and you can fix something in you know thirty seconds. Where over email or instant message might take yeah you know, half an hour. Yeah, that makes sense. I, f- I feel like my experience was was pretty pretty similar there. From from going well, I was actually working in an office for a little bit longer, but going from that to not being able to. Yeah. speak to my manager who's no, used to sit right next to me was definitely a, a struggle. So I, I see, I see how yeah. you would feel that way. wanted to take a step back though. Um, you had mentioned that you kind of went to DVC because you didn't really know what you wanted to do. Like, how did you find a major that, that you interested, interested you um, within the, that two-year span? Yeah. Um, a lot of it um, is, and I know this isn't like a glamorous answer, but a lot of it was follow the money. <laughs> and uh, sure. to me, <laughs> I know that's not like a glamorous answer, but you know, in, in a sense, it's, it's, it's true. You know, some of it mm-hmm. was just follow the money, but you no, know, on the other side of that was, uh, I had to take, uh, I guess just part of GE, I think just a general business course just for, you know, lower division GEs. And there was a lot of language being used in business courses, particularly accounting that I didn't understand, but I found very interesting. I remember in my first accounting course, it was financial accounting. I'm sure you've taken it. A lot of, uh, you know, business majors, not non-business majors, end up taking an accounting course. So, you know, one at you know one point or another. Sure. Uh, and they gave us this thick pamphlet. It was from Home Depot. It was a it was a 10K, you know, an annual report. Mm-hmm. And I was just flipping through it, just looking at all these numbers and this just just big old stack of information and just trying to make sense out of all it. And to me, it was like problem solving it was a bit like a puzzle where there's a lot of information here that I don't understand but it just sounds good to understand you know it's almost like learning a different language and I just found that language to be extremely interesting and I wanted to be part of it so um, accounting really you know even though I'm not an accountant uh, really sort of set the tone for what I wanted to sort of, you know, what I imagined, you know, a businessman looks like, sounds like, talks like, throwing out all these, you know, what's, uh, you know, earnings per share and all this, all, all these words that I couldn't understand. And sure, uh, I ended up, I ended up really loving it. Um, and after that, I decided I don't want to go accounting because in my head, accountants 
and I guess <laughs> this is generalizing, but accountants don't necessarily talk to people every day. To me, accountants, you know, we're just, even though that's probably not the case, but you know, it, it wasn't as social as a job. So I guess just the other side of accounting is finance. You know, they say accounting is the backbone of finance. If you can do accounting, you can do finance, but really not the other way around. But to me, finance was a lot more broad, meaning, you know, I could, there's a lot more subdivisions of finance that you could find yourself, you know, uh, pursuing rather than accounting where mm -hmm. it's, there, there's different types of accounting, but it's, it's a little more narrow, if that makes sense. So sure. I ended up going with finance. Rather that than makes finance. sense. So it was something where it's like, initially you were just, you just figured that finance and, and business majors make more money. So you, you started, started there and then you found out in one of your accounting classes that it was actually somewhat interesting to you. So you continued pursuing it. Yeah. 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 yeah the money thing was important. I mean, yeah, to me, it was, I, I wanted to do, I decided I want to do business, um, uh, not early on, but about the same time where I said, I think I'm just going to do business. I was looking at the itinerary and I said, you know, you could do business. You could, you could do anything. You could start a business. You could work for a business. And it, it just, it, it opened up the, you know, a lot of possibilities for a sure. career. Yeah. And then I sort of took, you know, a step back in business and they said, okay, well now what sort of concentrations in business, sure. yep. where, you know, provide the opportunity to be more successful. And I ended up landing on uh, finance. Finance, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And then you ended up also landing in in Chico. Um, yeah. what, what, you know, what what was the what was the reasoning behind that? Especially given that a lot of finance majors are looking to get into those Ivy League schools. Like, mm -hmm. but you've proven that you don't necessarily need it uh, to get into one of those schools to be successful. But why Chico? Yeah. So yeah, good question. I I originally did get into a lot of different. Uh, uh, state colleges, I think one university, it, it was a good list. I ended up on Chico, um, mostly because I knew myself and I sort of looked at all these uh, schools where I didn't know anyone who went to the schools. And I saw myself becoming a sort of hermit where, you know, which isn't a bad thing, but I saw myself really being just a bookworm, not leaving my dorm, you know, which, you know, in turn would probably end up with, you know, a really good GPA. But Sure. Um, but balance, right? <laughs> there was more, yeah, there was more to the experience that I wanted than just sitting down, going to class, taking my tests, doing my homework, and then going to bed, you know, not talking to anybody. Mm -hmm. So the good thing about Chico is, and, and really all CSUs, you're not going to find that much difference in curriculum um, among the CSU system. Um, I'd, I'd argue even the Ivy League system. You know, the curriculum is going to basically be the same. You know, I have books, you know, that my friend um, Nathaniel went to Cal Poly. We have the exact same textbooks. We took the exact same courses. Go Stangs. Yeah, <laughs> Go Stangs. Uh, and really at Chico, they, it sort of forces you to be social. And it's really important. I think it's a very underrated skill to have you know, that person ability. And to me, you know, while going to, let's say a San Francisco state where I think I can only name one or two people we went to school with that went to San Francisco state, um, it would have been, you know, probably great for my GPA and everything, but it, I didn't see myself developing those social skills that I think are extremely important when it comes to landing a job after college. Sure. You could be the smartest person in the room, but at the end of the day, when you're interviewing someone or someone's interviewing you, 
Mm -hmm. uh, a big part of that is, do I want to work with this person sure. for X amount of years? You know, do I want to sit next to this person? Do you know, am I going to get along with him? So there's, there's a big aspect of going to a state, uh, state school like Chico, where there's a bit of a reputation. Everyone, <laughs> think everyone knows the reputation they might have, but you know, when you get to a school like that, you could easily fall off the wagon, but as long as you apply, you know, yourself to your actual academics and you sure. know, do extracurriculars, you're going to get the same academic experience, but as you know, in addition, get a sort of social experience and be more personable later down the road. So I thought Chico was a, was a good fit, a good uh, work-life balance, if that's sure. the right word to use. Yeah. I mean, ultimately you could be the, as you mentioned, the smartest person in the world, you can have the highest intellect, but if you're not able to communicate effectively, then you know, how far can you possibly go, right? It's only half the battle to be smart, right? So I completely, yeah. completely agree with you there. Um, in, in terms of extracurriculars, though, um, you mentioned that you had done a lot of them at Chico. I think one of them that you had mentioned previously off camera was was a, a debate or some debates that you used to do in finance. Do you mind elaborating on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I did a lot of them. Uh, I did the CFA Research Challenge down here in San Francisco. And, you know, every year our school hosts a university-wide stock pitch competition. And the winner of that goes on to a Northern California stock pitch competition. So I did uh, my second year of Chico, I did the school one, school-wide stock pitch competition where anyone can join. I think, I don't remember exactly how many uh, contestants we had that year. Cause I think it was in the middle of the paradise fire. And a lot of people had evacuated at that point. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, that was, I, yeah. I forgot I went to school during that. Um, it's rough. <laughs> Yeah, that was a, that was an interesting time to be up in Northern California, but uh, still is to be honest. Yeah, no breaks for California. I, I can't remember a time where we weren't on fire. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, get to California later in this call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the Northern California stock pitch. Uh, so after I won the Chico, the Chico State stock pitch competition, I went on. We invited uh, a number of universities to come up because we actually ended up hosting it, and I pitched a short position on Craft Brew Alliance, I believe, which is the um, parent company of, if you're familiar with Kona Beer, it's the parent company of, of uh, that brewery and oh, a okay. number of others. Yep. And uh, it, it's really, those competitions are, I thought were extremely helpful, not only because you have now a solid piece of work, which is an important point um, I'll get to a solid piece of work that you can use outside of school because these competitions involve you know writing a research report and creating a pitch you know a 10-minute pitch and defending your position on you know whatever it is you're taking for us it was a short position um, but th those competitions I think were extremely helpful in not only resume building but you know just articulating your thoughts and ideas to a group of people, especially because the panel of judges are all investment professionals. They're all, you know, CFAs, sure. um, CFPs, you know, who are going to poke and prod at your, at your thesis in your, in your position. And mm -hmm. you have to stand up there and you have to defend your position and convince them why your pitch, why your position is the best in the room. So it, it, it teaches a lot of skills in that accent. And also, I just really liked it. Um, I was an avid trader, you know, an undergrad, um, a lot of options trading, a lot of speculation, momentum trading. So I was already doing it. And I sure. thought, why not put my, you know, practice, well, my 
skills into practice, I guess, in sort of the real world, if that makes sense, conveying yeah. ideas to people. Absolutely. How, how much of a role do you feel like those extracurriculars played in you being able to score a role after college? I think it was extremely crucial. Um, cause especially because I, especially in the, in the CFA research challenge where we had to create a, a, uh, an entire report, you know, an actual report. And my job right now is writing analyst reports. So having that extra piece of work really goes miles when you're in an interview with someone, because, you know, at the end of the day, you're graduating with thousands, hundreds, if not thousands of other people who all have the same degree as you and, you know, arguably the same drive and ambition. So having those extracurriculars is just something that's going to help you stand out above your, your peers. You know, it's probably, I don't want to say it's like 80%, but it's a very big part of what I think landed me my role. Wow. Because it's a lot. My role, <laughs> <laughs> because, well, my role in is a lot of it's analyst report writing. And I think I'm probably the only candidate who had a an actual analyst report that I wrote in undergrad due to this extracurricular, you know, competition that I did. So, it, you know, it's, it's different for everyone, but in my scenario, it was extremely helpful so anything, anything, any hard piece of work, you know, that you can call your own, that you, that will go with you after undergrad, I think it will take you miles. It'll, it's something to set you apart from the other people that you're graduating with. Given the fact that there's thousands of people graduating from the same university mm-hmm. with the same major, yeah, how mm-hmm. do you differentiate yourself from the pack? And that's with communication. I think that's huge. As, as you mentioned with, with the, your interview mm-hmm. skills, as well as those extracurriculars. So that all makes sense. So appreciate you elaborating there. Um, I actually wanted to, to pivot now into actually finding a role out of college. You mentioned that it took you almost a year to get yeah. that job out of college. Like, what did you learn from that experience? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough after college. It's very easy to get discouraged. Um, so what I did, oh, I, had, I had a bit of a unique situation because I was in conversation with a hedge fund in San Francisco where I went through rounds of interviews and, and unfortunately ended up uh just ghosting me <laughs> once right. graduation time came. So that was a bit unique. But I started um, applying to jobs the January before my graduation. So about five months before I graduated, I was applying to jobs. And okay. throughout, you know, after graduation, still every single day, I think I'd set it like at least five applications a day. And you don't necessarily need to apply to companies and positions that you, you know, is your dream job, you know, we'll obviously do that too, but getting just used to the application process, just, you know, talking to management, just taking some interviews to get used to, because if I remember my first couple interviews, I look back and I'm like, oh Jesus, like, what did I, why did I see, you know, it was terrible. They weren't good at all. So a lot of it is, is, is just applying a lot uh, and getting that practice in. But, yeah, it's a learning experience. It sounds like, it, I mean, you got to get the first few at bats, right? Before you yeah, land no, that absolutely. Job. Yeah, you got you to take a few swings. Um, but it, it, it took, it's very easy, especially if you're, you know, applying for almost a year like I did. It's very, very easy to get discouraged. You know, I was even talking to one of my friends and it's, it's been maybe four or five months now and I was getting real worried. You know, I was like, wow, did, did I go to college? Did I get a degree for nothing? What is this, you know? 
no one's calling me back. I'm not taking any interviews. And um, I think it was my parents who said, just be patient, just keep applying, just don't stop applying. And I got a few offers uh, early on. And I sort of set a rule for myself, which personally I think is important is to never settle. You know, I know, I knew what my skill set was worth. I knew what I had. And even though that sounds, you know, a bit, no, I'm not blowing smoke. No, it's important. It's important to be confident. Yeah, it's important to, ha- to understand what you're bringing to the table. And I knew what I was bringing to the table. So I turned down some offers that were, let's say, maybe sales rules, which I'm not a, you're, you're a great, I'm a terrible salesman. <laughs> I yeah, don't sell yourself off. short. You're good at communicating. That's all you need yeah, to be a little I, bit I, persuasive. <laughs> once, maybe seven, eight months later, you know, after not being discouraged, I finally getting offers for jobs that, you know, were in line with my career goal. So okay. It was tough, that application process, but just never settling, knowing your worth and, you know, just communicating to, uh, to the companies that, uh, that you're applying to, that you're really interested and really passionate. I think those helped a lot, but just don't get discouraged. I guess if that's, if that's sort of the main takeaway, it's, it's really easy to fall into a rut when you keep, if you're, if someone keeps telling you, no. (laughs) <laughs> so it's really easy to, to you know fall into the into- very familiar there i get told no on a daily basis from people i'm trying <laughs> yeah. to sell so <laughs> completely understand yeah, yeah, that yeah. but but yeah, it's important to yeah it's important to further reiterate your point though that you were applying to roles five months prior to graduation and turning down roles after graduation because you felt like you could do more or you can do better mm-hmm. than what they were offering uh, yeah. i think that's a really important point to, to hammer home yeah you know and some people, you know, will say, I'll just, you know, take anything, just get your foot in the door to get an experience, which some people can, you know, it is different for everyone. But for, for me, it just wasn't enough. I said, I would rather be unemployed than to not start my career off on the right foot. Um, that's just personally me, you know, because sure. I, I think maybe it's hard to name, but I don't think many people that I graduated with are actually working in finance right now. And to me, that was a big motivator. I was seeing, you know, my peers go into, you know, just non-finance related roles. They could completely abandon the idea of working in investment banking or, you know, an, or, or an analyst or, you know, buy side equity research. So to me, that was motivating because I didn't want to sort of fall into that group that spent all this time getting this degree and, and learning and taking in all this information just right. to take you know, full one eighty. Take some HR role that I had nothing to, you know, even do with. Sure, um, not knocking HR. HR is great, but that's just wasn't aligned with my with my career goal. Yeah, I mean, so, if uh, you spend you know four or five years of your time in finance or in business, and you're not using that, then I mean, either you really just didn't like it throughout your experience, or you just right. find a job that fit that curriculum, fit that right. role, right? Which is which is a great point because you have to ask yourself about every once in a while is do I actually like or enjoy like what I'm doing and what I'm mm-hmm. studying. I think that's an important point sure. because um, you'll find out real quick in your first actual job, you know, that's what that you study for, went to school for, whether or not you like it, mm-hmm. um, you'll find out quick. And it's better to ask yourself that question early on before you spend all this time and resources getting mm-hmm. a job in a field that you don't even enjoy. 
Yeah, so. absolutely. And it sounds like you're pretty uh, passionate about finance yourself and that you've stuck with it through uh, thick and thin. So why don't you elaborate a little bit more on you know, what your day-to-day looks like as a private market analyst and what is it like working with a bunch of people that presumably all do have Ivy League backgrounds? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So first, yeah, sort of day-to-day. Uh, generally, um, we spend a lot of time writing reports, but you know, after this, the whole, you know, check the email thing, generally me and whatever lead analyst I'm working with, we set out sort of, um, we set deadlines uh, for report writing. It's a very collaborative process. So let's say we're writing up uh, leverage buyout funds, you know, me and my lead analyst will talk and we'll say, okay, um, we'll set up meetings with, uh, who, you know, the manager of the fund. And we're going to ask these questions. We're going to get this information. And, you know, you write up uh, the portfolio and, you know, expected alpha and the strategy investment process. And I'll write their research capabilities and their management team and their track record. And then we'll meet back. And so a lot of the times, you know, I'll wake up, I'll open up, you know, their their, uh, offering documents, all their financial, you know, statements and just sort of analyze their, their fund sort of inside and out and just kind of get my ideas down on paper and, you know, while collaborating with the lead analyst and, you know, at the end of the week or the month or whatever our um, deadline is, we'll end up having a cohesive report and then we'll sort of get together and say, okay, now let's rate these guys, you know, is this this good? Is this bad? You know, do we, do we believe these guys do, you know, do you think this would be a good investment for our clients? So a lot of it's a lot of reading and it's a lot of writing. It's, um, and I mean, I didn't expect myself to do a lot of reading and writing, you know, especially as you know, analyst, it sounds like you'll be working in Excel all day and you'll sure. be writing financial models, which, you know, you, you do some days, but a lot of it is a lot of research, uh, reading and, and, and writing. Um, I'd say it's about 90% of my day. Wow. Well, for, for people that like, like ordinary people, ordinary citizens, like, like myself, like that want to invest in, you know, the private market, like what steps would I have to take in order to do so? Uh, the private markets are, are interesting uh, because they're not available to, you know, just like public, you know, retail sure. investors. Mm-hmm. So in order to invest in the private markets, you'll either have to be, you know, an institutional investor, which is your typical pension or endowment fund or a high net worth individual or have a family office. Because most of these funds have a minimum investment of a million on the low end and, okay. you know, upper, upwards of 50 million minimum, minimum investment. But so a lot of, you know, people who think of finance, you know, you think of the public side, they think of, you know, stocks, equities and fixed income bonds. But the private markets is sort of the behind the scenes of of finance where a lot of people don't get to see, but it's a huge, it's, it is a huge market with a lot of different players that you probably have heard of, you know, a lot of hedge funds, you know, I know recently well, maybe not recently, but you know the whole the GameStop fiasco and and all that Wall Street bet stuff. Uh, yeah, which was, um, I think people now probably got exposure to their first hedge fund, which is I think Melvin Capital, if I'm mm-hmm. not, which um, I don't think we covered. They got destroyed. But, yeah, so that's um, th- there's a whole breadth, there's a whole market behind there that a lot of people don't get to see, um, which is why I actually sort of enjoy it because let's take like a leverage buyout fund, for example, or like, you know, I'm working on venture capital right now mm-hmm. and venture capital is really interesting because you get to talk to these funds who basically it's like shark tank, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, they're, they're taking, you know, 
young entrepreneurs and they're you know injecting them with capital and they're they're hiring and firing new management teams and you get to see how money impacts a young business and where it leads all the way up through an eventual IPO which is really interesting that you know the private markets is big and it's, there's a lot of different players in it that I didn't know that I would like in the beginning because you know in undergrad I was very stock oriented you know options trader public sure. market buy side equity research but mm -hmm. They're very similar. It's just one's available to the layman, you know, like you and me, and the others are available to uh, just really high net worth individuals and sure. institutional investors. So the answer is either be a professional or be rich. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically yeah. the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you need you need a good chunk of change to to be able to get into the private markets. Although yeah. you, you probably some people do have exposure to the private markets because a lot of four hundred one ks and you know and endowment funds and pension plans. Are sure. investing in the private market, so right. we probably have exposure, just don't really know it because yeah, indirectly, not a lot of people ask for a breakdown of their pension plan. Let me, you know, the layman doesn't go. Let me get an itemized, you know, receipt of my four hundred one k. I want to see what what I'm exposed to. Give me the fund, you know. Yeah, I'm. I'm like, literally when I go back home, I'm going to go through my mom's four hundred one k and see what she's invested in because she doesn't know herself. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Not putting my mom on blast, but that's just the the, the majority of people today, if if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and people like yeah maybe you and me will find that interesting i did that to my parents too but you know the layman probably doesn't uh sure probably just, is it how's it doing it's doing good okay that's fine fantastic as long as i get returns right <laughs> yeah as long as i can retire yeah absolutely uh, i i had one more question now that we're running up on on time here michael but um the other thing that i wanted to address here was um regarding california um, do you plan on staying in Cali with all of this, um, not just like from an environmental standpoint, but just from a financial standpoint, how expensive it is to, to, to live in that state? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I well, personally, I'm, I'm a bit biased and I'll recognize that I'm biased. I love California. Um, sure. <laughs> uh, I, I know a lot of people that live on the East coast that come from the East coast that come out to California. Um, I, I think if the option presented itself to go to, let's say New York, you know, if I could be in like downtown New York, I'd love to see it. Cause I've never, you know, I've hardly left California. I'd like, I'd like to see it. I'd probably give it a shot. Um, if again, like I said, like if the opportunity presented itself, but I think uh, California is just, it's my favorite. <laughs> I don't know. I, I like California a lot. It is very expensive to live here. You know, it's a lot of people have an issue with living here. Uh, to me, it's worth it. You know, I'll pay higher taxes. I'll, I'll pay, you know, higher living expenses just because I think the quality of life here in California is just that much better. But this is coming from a sure. guy who has hardly left the state. So it's hard for me to be uh, objective about this. Uh, but sure. I, uh, I, yeah, I can't, see, I can't see. I can only see myself leaving California if an opportunity, a better opportunity presents presented itself elsewhere okay but i don't see that happening i will be glad to look it over once it does though yeah that that's a solid answer to be fair i never thought i was leaving california either um and then i did now i'm yeah. in vegas <laughs> so yeah, yeah. You, and you, you know you're a, you're a landlord now and that's that's great you know it's thank you. you well a lot of people uh you know love california they're doing great things and they're an example of that and i appreciate that appreciate that the last question that I have for you, Michael, is just to wrap things up here is if there's any last minute, last pieces of advice that you would give mm -hmm. um, some college students that are going to be graduating here in the next 12 months during a pandemic. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. A uh, piece of advice, especially, yeah, graduating towards the pandemic. So this is a very interesting time, isn't it? Um, I, I, I can only say from, you know, from when we're hiring people that don't ever think that just because you don't have, let's say, a finance card degree that you can't work for a financial firm because that's just not true. We get, you know, we get Stanford grads that apply to apply to my firm that we turn down just because it's not that they're 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 smarter than everyone or or you know they're they're here to you know clean house and they're just they're going to get paid more. It's just really came down to you know the personability alongside their knowledge and. Yeah. A Stanford and Harvard grad, while it seems real prestigious and, you know, they'll, they'll probably tell you otherwise that, you know, their education is top notch just because they produce such, you know, high net worth individuals. At the end of the day, it's for, for people, you know, UME, CSU, UCs, majority of the population, it's pretty standard across the board. So I wouldn't get discouraged graduating from even just a community college with an associate's degree in, in finance or accounting. You know, it, I wouldn't get, I wouldn't let that discourage you because you're going up against a lot of people, yes, but it's what you do sort of outside your your degree. You know, having a strong passion, doing outside research, maybe if it's even you know if it's finance related, even just building your own models in Excel or learning VBA or learning SQL. Because I didn't I didn't learn coding in my undergrad, but you know I still you know from time to time take it upon myself to continue learning. Yeah, let's let's say VBA or you know other Excel macros or any sort of you know coding language. So yeah, I, I guess if I were to boil it down, just maintain a passion for what you do. Don't get discouraged if you think that you don't have the necessary skills or requirements because you know you don't have to stop learning after college. You can continue sure. learning, which is very important. Um, and don't get discouraged when you get told no because if you're passionate enough and you care enough and you have the drive and ambition you'll get calls back that you know you'll get calls back uh but awesome never settled thank you so much michael for your time i really appreciate that yeah thanks eric uh thanks for having me on man and uh, yeah of course uh if i'm ever uh, up in vegas i'll give you a <laughs> hit me up please do thanks, thanks again man.